Welcome to the Just for Special Education Teachers podcast, the place to be if you just want to connect with other special educators, if you want to gain insights and strategies, or obtain resources to help you in your journey as you grow as a special educator. Many of us have just started back to school or we will be starting. Today is August 15th, and I wanna talk about how you can prepare your classroom to maximize success for your students. So welcome back teachers. I hope you had a fabulous summer. Now let's talk about how we can get our students performing at grade level with minimum behavior disruptions in the classroom. I want to share some best practices with you and I'm going to touch on four categories during this episode. The first one, rules. Second, routines and procedures. Third, behavior. And fourth, the physical setup of your classroom, which can change the environment in your classroom. So first let's talk about rules. When you're coming up with rules, it is generally best to not have more than five general classroom rules. And we'll talk more when we get into the routines and procedures, how you can have certain routines and procedure for each part of your classroom day. So for example, when you're doing, let's say if you teach primary school, uh, morning circle, you may have a certain set of routines and procedures during morning circle that incorporates rules. And then you may have a certain time of the day where you're, you have your kids at stations and there are a certain number of rules, routines, procedures that you have during that part of your scheduled day. But first I wanna just talk about your general classroom-wide rules that would be in place or that you would want to uh, the students to employ throughout the whole course of the day And these rules are going to apply throughout the classroom, throughout the day, irrespective of what task your class is doing. Okay, so back to rules. General rules don't really work well. So what I would do is try to avoid general rules. And what I mean by that are rules like be kind, be respectful. That's too general and it's going to confuse the kids that they don't they need to know exactly what that looks like so when you when you say you want your students to be kind or when you have a rule that you want your students to be kind what exactly does that look like so let's say for example that you want the students to keep their hands to themselves well rather than saying be kind then you would have a specific rule that would say, keep your hands to yourself, take turns. Now, let's say the general rule I also see a lot is be respectful. Okay, again, what does being respectful look like? So then you would want to be very specific and say, well, we say please and thank you. That could be a rule. Wait your turn. Don't interrupt when someone else is speaking. Okay, that 
it gives the students a very clear, specific definition of being respectful and that lets them know exactly what you would like to see. So there is no room for interpretation when you have specific rules like that, as opposed to just having general rules. Now, those would be examples of classroom rules. And those, again, to reiterate, classroom rules are those rules, things, or behaviors that you would like to see employed throughout the school day in the classroom and it's not contingent on the activity or task that the student is doing. Now we want to model the rules in the classroom and when you see a student doing that rule, for example, you, the student says please or thank you, you want to acknowledge that student so that other students will take notice and you want to do that until everyone is doing it and it becomes the standard, the routine, the expectation in your classroom. So you, an example would be, great job, Madison, for saying thank you to Johnny for giving you a pencil. Very specific. And you're not just saying great job. You're letting the students know exactly why you feel that they're doing a great job. And you're telling them it's because you said thank you to another student so therefore they know this is a preferred behavior in the classroom this is an expected behavior in the classroom and you will start to see that behavior more often okay now let's talk about routines and procedures now sometimes rules can overlap routines and procedures and the reason why i say that is because a routine or procedure is something that reoccurs on a daily basis. The reason that I say that is because a routine or procedure is something that you, that you do in your classroom on a regular basis and you want to see a particular behavior reoccur on a daily basis. So you have your you had your classroom rules, but now we want to talk about routines and procedures. So a routine and, a, and procedure can sort of overlap with a rule. For example, let's say you teach a kindergarten class and you have morning circle every day. So every day during morning circle, you want to see a particular behavior. So that is basically a routine, but they can be a set of rules that turns into your routine because you want to see it on a daily basis, the same time during morning circle. So let's say you have your kindergarten class and every day during morning circle, you want the students to come to the morning circle and sit on their square, but you want them to sit or sit in their square in a particular way. You want, when they sit at the, the morning circle, you want them to have their eyes on you. So that's one one rule that is part of the morning circle routine, eyes on me, ears listening, silent mouth, and body still. Now body still, what does that look like? You're gonna tell them what that looks like. Is that crisscross applesauce? Is that, uh, are they allowed to sit with their legs in, with their legs in front of them as long as they're not moving? Do you want them to have their hands on their, lap, on their laps? Being very specific about 
what you want them to look like, how you want them to show up to the morning circle. So that would eventually turn into a routine. Although you could also say, well, it's a set of rules that we have whenever we're at morning circle. So that's why I call that more a routine because it's really only specific to when the class is at morning circle. Other times throughout the day when they're at their desks, you may have a different set of rules. When they're doing stations, you'll have a different set of rules. So those really fall more into the category of a routine. It's a different routine during this type of class. Okay, so routines or procedures when the students are doing stations. Taking turns, stay in your seat. Are they, they, do they have to stay in their seat when they're working at stations? Or are they allowed to be up and walking around as long as they, as they stay in the area of the station? So these are things that you wanna think about. When they have a question while they're at the station, what do they do? Do they raise their hand if they have a question while they're at station? Do they call the teacher's name out when they have a question at station? Or do you want them to ask a neighbor or a friend that's at the station first before they ask the teacher, what is the routine? What would you like for the students to do while they're at station? You need to be very specific, uh, especially at the beginning of the school year because the students don't know what your expectations are unless you tell them. And it'll have, they'll have to be reinforced. You'll have to reinforce those expectations every day, probably for the first several weeks. Working independently. What are the expectations? What is the routine when the students are working independently? What would you like them to do first? They have a question when they're working independently. Do you want them to read the directions first? Read the directions first and then ask a neighbor if you have a question? Or do you want them to read the questions first and then ask the teacher if they don't understand? If if you want them to ask the teacher after they've read the directions and they still don't understand, how do they get the teacher's attention? Do they give a signal? Do they raise their hand to ask the teacher? Do they call out the teacher's name? You're, you want to set the routine and the expectation for how you would like them to respond or behave during particular parts of the day. Now also, students with IEPs students with learning differences, students with special needs, whatever term you, you use, really perform better with structure. And so I think it's very important to have a set schedule and they should see that schedule every day, whether it's going to be on the, on the wall or whether it's going to be posted at their desk. They should know what that schedule is. So say for example, uh, you're teaching high school and the first five minutes of class, you always do warm up. Well, that should be in your schedule and you should do that every day, the first five minutes of class so the students know what the expectation is. When they are doing the warm up, are they allowed to talk? Is it silent voices during the warm up? Are they allowed to collaborate with their classmates during the warm-up, what does that look like? What does it look like when they're completing the warm-up for the first five minutes? And you want to have this for every minute of your classroom, okay? Every minute that they're in, in the class, we want to have those minutes accounted for. So the five first five minutes, 
is warm up. After that, we do direct instruction or whatever you want to call it. And then when you're doing direct instruction, what are the what is the routine during direct instruction? What does a student do when they have a question when you're giving direct instruction? Do they wait until the end of your presentation? Do they raise their hands to ask a question when they have one during direct instruction? Do they give another type of signal or do they just shout out the question without raising their hand? How do you want them to interact with you during direct instruction? Okay, independent work. Oftentimes during independent work, there is a transition, right? We're transitioning from, say, for example, guided instruction to independent work. So what should that transition look like? During a transition, are they allowed to talk while they're transitioning? Are they moving from one desk to another? Or are they staying at their desk and just taking out a different notebook or a binder? What are they doing during transition and what should that look like? Do they need to move their desks? Do they need to get out of their desks to go to another space? If so, how will they transition to that space? What will, how will they do it? What do you want that to look like when they're transitioning to another space? What should their voice levels be when they are allowed to collaborate during independent work? Do we want a voice, should it be a whisper? Can it be a level two, a level three? When I taught my high school class, we use levels because sometimes it could get sort of loud and they, you know, they uh, didn't necessarily without, they weren't aware, some students, of how loud they were talking. So we came up with a system of voice levels one to five that worked uh, and that worked for me. And so during certain times of the day, if they were, um, if the voice level was going to be different from what we, the normal voice level was, then I would write it on the board and say, okay, we're going to be at a voice level three right now. And they were very clear how high a voice level was because we had been doing it uh, since the beginning of the school year and uh, practicing. And because we had been doing it since the beginning of the school year and practicing voice levels. Next is behavior. Okay. So when we're, I believe the best way to minimize behavior challenges and uh, distractions in the classroom is to have a class-wide system for behavior. And I think that even if you there is a school-wide system for behavior, some type of PBIS that, you, that your school has, I also think that there should be one for the classroom. And basically what that is, it's a reinforcement system for the behavior that you expect in the classroom for your the expectations that you have in the classroom and it really doesn't matter what it looks like and it should be try to make it as simple as possible some some reinforcement systems can be very complex and unless you know you have a class of students that have um, really extensive behavior challenges extensive behavior issues I would say you, you can definitely keep it simple, whether that's a sticker system, if you're in primary school, marbles in a jar, that can be used primary, that can also be used in secondary school. See what else? Uh, Sticks, earning sticks. I actually used, and this worked well for me, and I used it in primary school and high school, popsicle sticks. The students would earn popsicle sticks, and they would be able to purchase things from our student store with popsicle sticks and they would get popsicle sticks for 
maybe they could get it for turning in, a, in an assignment. They would get a certain number of points for uh, a certain number of popsicle sticks for that. They would get a certain number of popsicle sticks for implementing certain rules, following rules in the classroom, routines, procedures, um, you know, and uh, that that worked pretty well. And it doesn't have to be a student store. It could be that they're earning uh, free class time. Just kind of be creative, but you do want to have some type of reinforcement system. That reinforcement system will generally satisfy, suffice for 80% of your students. And then for the other 20%, sometimes you, you may have outliers. Well, maybe you will need one or two tier two interventions. And we'll talk about tier two interventions in another episode. But if you have some type of reinforcement system, a class-wide reinforcement system in your classroom, that should work for the majority of your students. One other thing that I noticed, and I would love to hear your feedback for this, but for high school students, they tend to like food. Uh, that was a really a motivator for many of my students. So I usually had student stores for my high school students. But again, if the school, it's, if it's not allowed in your school budget and you don't spend extra money, you don't spend your own money in your classroom, then they can certainly do things like uh, earn free time or having a class party where, you know, you watch a movie for 20 minutes and then every time they earn the class party, they get to continue watching the same movie for 20 minutes until you've completed the whole movie or a host of things that you can do. Other Also, classroom parties don't have to be really expensive. It could be popcorn. You could have popcorn. Uh, that doesn't cost a whole lot of money. Popcorn and music, the kids would, you know, would love something like that. Popcorn and music, that could be your classroom party. But, you know, you, you can be so creative. Next, the physical arrangement of your classroom. Now, this was one that I implemented after I had been teaching for quite a few years. And I think I just really noticed the difference, what a huge difference the physical arrangement of your classroom could make. And, you know, it really does, it helps create a smoother flow and it can reduce behavior distraction. So you want to really pay close attention to how you are physically arranging your classroom. It can certainly decrease disruptive behavior, and increase academic engagement. A well-organized classroom will reduce classroom behavior challenges. So some examples of what I'm talking about when, when I talk about physical arrangement of your classroom, one that's very standard, we all know about seating arrangements. So sometimes certainly seating arrangement can have a big impact on how students engage and interact in your classroom. Adding organization materials such as shelves, hooks and labels, creating clear pathways in areas of high congestion. That's really important when you have a large class and definitely in high school. Let me give some examples. So one, it, let's, uh, let's talk about the primary grade. So one of the best kindergarten teachers that I, I met, uh, one of the best kindergarten teachers that I met uh, arranged their classroom where students were in groups of four from what I recall okay and each group 
had a color. So for example, let's say there were 16 students in the classroom. So 16 students in the classroom divided by four. So there were four tables for uh, each group. And one table, would they were, they were named by colors. So one table, let's say it was a red table, and you had your green table, and you had your orange table, and you had your blue table. So the teacher's philosophy was rather than having a common area in the classroom where students would get things like the pencils and the crayons and the scissors, he would have those in the middle of each table in trays that were colored the same as the name of the group table. So for example, the red table, they had red they had red trays that had the supplies for their desks in it. So they would have the colored pencils, the crayons, the scissors and the regular pencils and the colored pencils. So the reason that he did this was because he noticed that the students took much better care of the items when they had something that belonged to them as opposed to sharing. So as opposed to sharing it with the whole class. And so what he said was that the students take more ownership when it's theirs. And I thought, wow, that's very interesting. It And it also eliminates crowding in some of the common areas, right? The students had, uh, they would have most of their supplies that they need right at their table. So they don't necessarily have to get up and get out of their chairs, get out of their seats to go get these common items. I tried this in my classroom. So what I did was uh, my first year teaching kindergarten, kindergarten uh, the previous teacher before me had a large bucket of crayons that the whole class used. And she would just, so this, she, she would just plop the crayons um, in the middle of a, of the desk of a de of their desk and the students would just go in in the middle of the table the students would just go in and grab the color that they needed and we used that box for the first uh few weeks of class and then so i decided to do what the elementary teacher i believe his name was mr davis did what he had done and so i gave each student two pencils a box of crayons and a box of colored pencils and a scissor. And I put it in their own large pencil box with their name on it. And I noticed immediately that they they did, they took much better care of the crayons when they each had their own box. So I no longer had to remind them to pick up a crayon off of the floor when, you know, when they dropped it on the floor uh, because it was their own personal crayons, right? So if they dropped it, they were gonna pick it up because that's my crayon, that's their crayon, and they're certainly gonna take care of it. So I certainly noticed the difference. Now, the reason that I didn't do it the way that Mr. Davis did with the group tables and the um, group ownership was because I had a difficult time finding, you know, all yellow trays and uh, blue and green. So it, uh, I wasn't able to do that to find it. And so I, you know, I ended up having to, I would, I would have had to mix and match. And so that really didn't work. He wanted, his system was very clear, like everything at this table needs to be in a green tray and <laughs> a green cup and at the green table and the red table the same. So I thought, well, okay, I'll get pencil boxes, put their name on it. And each one will have their own individual box, but that way still worked well also. Now on the high school level, 
I, we had, uh, I'm thinking of one particular school year, we had two students that just couldn't stay in their seats. And, you know, they wanted to, they would use the excuse of going to the garbage can to throw away something, which was fine. But while they were doing that, they were kind of distracting other kids. They might tap somebody on their, on the head or, you know, while they're walking to the garbage can or having a conversation while they're walking to the garbage can. And so I decided we, we had, we only had one garbage can in the classroom at the time. And it was at the front door as you enter the classroom. So and then, you know, if that, that student was way on the other side, other end of the classroom and he'd have to get up from the seat a couple of times during class to walk to throw papers away all the way on the other side of the classroom. So what I decided to do is I thought, okay, this definitely, I think if I do something with a classroom arrangement, I think I can have an impact here. So what I did is I just decided to buy two more trash cans and place them strategically throughout the classroom. I believe I placed two in the back, one in the front. And that immediately solved my problem. The students no longer had an excuse to walk clear across the other side of the classroom to throw something in the trash. It was that simple. So think about the way that you've placed things in your classroom. Are they placed strategically to minimize crowding, to increase the flow of your classroom, to provide students easier access? So I hope that you found some of these tips and suggestions helpful. And do you have any tips and suggestions for teachers that might need guidance for preparing their classrooms? Are there any veteran teachers out there listening to this podcast? If so, please share by visiting my Facebook page or joining my newly created Facebook group just for special education teachers on Facebook. Oh, and by the way, just so you know, because school has started, I used to release the podcast weekly on Thursday nights, but now that school is back in session, I have changed the day. So the new episode release date will be Monday. So basic, so Sunday at midnight, the episode will be released for the week. All right. So I look forward to seeing you here. Same time next week.